0: Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. How we doing? And to you as well. So, uh, just a couple things to think about. We're going to start a little new series here called first things first, and uh, in that we're going to talk about maybe today your reality. So that's my first question. What is your reality? What occupies your brain, your mind? What stresses you out? What knocks you over? What worries you? What drags you down? What gets your attention? What's happening inside of your head? Not what you think it ought to be, but what is it? What is it actually doing what is happening inside of you at any given moment we're going to break that down and talk about that a little bit i do want to mention the legacy project Uh, this is an all church meeting it's not this coming week it's the next week every single person i'm inviting you to be there in fact i'm admonishing you to be there Uh, i don't want to have a meeting here uh, with 20 people, I want all of you here. So, all of you, Legacy, be a part of it. We want you to know about the project. We're going to reveal all the design features and the layouts and all the plans. So, come be a part of it. Okay? Okay, let try again. Okay? Okay, good. Some of you still are like, yeah, I'm not committing yet. <laughs> Think about it. Tell you a little story. Happened back in the 70s. There were a couple of fellas named one named steve wozniak one named steve jobs maybe you've heard of him <laughs> they were starting a little computer company in their garage it was called apple computers they had sold a, a number of machines to a local computer store and steve jobs had taken out a twenty-five thousand dollar loan in order to finance that And at the time, Steve Jobs was 25 years old, Steve Wozniak was 21 years old, and they didn't have a lot of real-world experience in business, they just knew some stuff about coding and computers. And so they decided to hire a third partner, and that third partner was the ripe old age of 40 years old, really ancient, if you think about it. His name was Ronald Wayne, he was a mechanical engineer and a friend of theirs and and they felt like he could help manage their inventory, he could make sure they were on track in the business model and the business plan. And so on April 1st, 1976, a contract was drawn up that gave Ronald Wayne 10% share of Apple. Now, Ronald Wayne began to think about that. I'm kind of guessing he went home and had a conversation with his wife, and the two of them together said, I don't know who these two crazy people are that are making computers in their garage, but they got nothing. They got nothing. You, on the other hand, own a home. You have assets. If this thing goes belly up, they're going to come get our house, you know. And so Ronald Wayne remained a 10% partner share in Apple for 12 days, 12 days. And then he sold his shares back to Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs for $800. A 10% share of Apple today would be roughly worth around $100 billion. That'd make your stomach hurt, won't it? He's been asked a number of times uh, how much he regrets selling and he said I really don't regret it at the time I could only make a decision based on what I understood and what I saw and so I made the best decision I could he said however (laughs) ten years later I was going through some old files and I found a copy of that contract and I thought you know Apple's established enough now there's enough crazies somebody wants to buy this piece of paper and I put it up for sale and I sold it for five hundred dollars. I do regret that. (laughs) And when he was asked why he regretted it, he said, well, here's the deal. It just resold for 1.9 million dollars, that little piece of memorabilia. He just kept swinging and missing, I guess. (laughs) But isn't that how you live and isn't that how I live? Making the best choices we can, hoping it turns out okay. Wish we knew how it was all going to be. Wish we knew exactly where to invest our time and energy. Wish we knew what to invest in, what would give us the best return. And we live in a culture right now that will tell you up front where to invest your time, your energy, your belief, where to put first things, where your brain ought to be, what you ought to be thinking, how you ought to be seeing the world. And yet here's God's Word saying... There's a different set of priorities. There's a different kind of worldview. It's not the same. We're taking this little series out of 1 Peter. And 1 Peter is a very interesting little collection, 1 and 2 Peter, two letters. Peter is arguably the most interesting, fascinating, connected, center protagonist of the New Testament. It's arguable that he takes center stage all through the life and ministry of Jesus, and all then through the early New Testament church. That's very unique. You know, he, he's in it from the beginning. He's a key character. Uh, his story, his life has some of the most cataclysmic and life-changing moments that we have in all of the story of the New Testament. And yet, he doesn't write much. We just have two letters. We just have these two short letters. By the way, all of this series, the next seven weeks, comes from First Peter. Uh, it's not very long. You could read it in one sitting. So I want to challenge you to do that. Get into the Word. Read it. Read it. Don't just wait for me to tell you about it. Read it. Uh, Get immersed in it. It's small enough and digestible enough. Now, we believe that there's a couple of things going on with the writings of Peter or the lack thereof. Number one, we know that Peter was the key eyewitness for Mark in the writing of that gospel. So, a lot of the stories you get in the gospel of Mark are related by Peter to Mark. So, you can say, kind of go, well, what was going on with Peter? How did he see it? How did he have it? How? Well, you can read Mark. And we know that Peter was one of his key eyewitnesses in the writing of that gospel. But we also, when we try to think about the fact that, you know, we've got Paul who writes so much. Everybody doing okay, by the way? Were were you okay with jumping into a little biblical background history? Okay, you didn't have a choice, and you still don't, but that's okay. (laughs) Because we ask these questions at a biblical theology level. We're asking why? Why Peter, such an integral part of the story, writes so little? And Paul, who doesn't come on the scene until after the resurrection of Jesus, writes so much. Well, Paul was a part of a very wealthy family. He was educated with the very best scholars of his day. He was highly educated. Writing to him was a very natural part of who he was. He did that prolifically as a Pharisee, and it sort of translated very much as he became converted. And the apostle Paul and, you know, the missionary Paul, it became a very natural part of who he was. Peter, on the other hand, was a fisherman from Capernaum. The likelihood of him having very much formal education at all is very low. And yet, the Greek that we have in 1 and 2 Peter is some of the finest Greek we have in the New Testament. It might help you to know that the book was finally, the letters were finally written from what Peter identifies as Babylon, that's Rome, because we know he spent the final years of his life in Rome. And we believe that it was during that period of time that that Peter begins to refine his writing and his ability and his understanding. And and so as the persecution of Christians begins to come into focus, 62 A.D., we know that the the persecution of Nero begins in 64 A.D. I know you all know your world history. Nero burned the slums of Rome... (laughs) He thought it would be a popular decision when it wasn't. He blamed it on the Christians, and the first mass persecution of the Christian church breaks out in 64 AD, right around the time of the burning of Rome. Peter's anticipating. He sees it on the horizon. He's he's feeling it. Both Peter and Paul are now in Rome at the time of the writing of this letter, and both Peter and Paul will die as martyrs in the persecution of Nero. He's writing to the churches in Asia Minor. They are anticipating, they are feeling the pressure. And he's writing to them about this coming persecution, about this coming confusion. He's writing to help them understand and navigate what will go on in the days ahead. So the book itself allows us to answer a few questions. Number one, these are the things he's answering. In what ways are believers protected by God's power? What's the reason and the purpose for pain in this life? What kind of perspective can help believers not respond with anger and hate to life's hurt, whether at home or at school or on the job? Why are believers experiencing so much distress if they are really God's children? That's pretty relevant questions. I I bet some of us are asking those questions. How do we put first things first? It has something to do with priorities. Merriam-Webster defines priorities as this. Something given or meriting attention before competing alternatives. Something given are meriting attention before competing alternatives. What are the first things in your heart, mind, spirit, life, relationships? Not what should they be, not what you think they ought to be, not what you wish they were, but what are they? because putting first things first has something to do with how we see the world, how we view what's happening around us, how we see the big picture, what we what we think about God, what we think about who we are and who we're supposed to be and who we're invited to be. It's a big deal. It's a big world view. And there are competing things for our attention and our belief system. Most of them are cynical and sad. Wow. Aren't they? Do you flip on the TV and feel encouraged by the climate, the politics, the culture, where we're headed, what we're doing? Do you feel like we're heading the right direction, the world's in good shape, everything's turned a corner, it's all getting better and better, or do you feel more like, whoa, (laughs) whoa. I never thought I'd long for the commercials on TV, but they're better. So Peter is simply saying, it matters what you look at. It matters what you place first. It matters what you believe about life. It matters what you believe about the world. It matters what you believe about God. The Oxford Dictionary says, a priority is a thing that is regarded as more important than something else. Amen? (laughs) A priority. I don't know about you, but it seems like when we try to set priorities in our life that we don't have a lot of choices. There's so many contingencies when we set priorities, meaning I would set a certain priority if all the problems were worked out, but since all the problems aren't worked out, my priorities are a little different. Okay, just me? Yeah, so this is what I wish were my priorities, but here are some things that are prioritized because I've got a health issue. You know, nothing changes your priorities like a health issue, because you know what becomes your priority? Your health issue. <laughs> Let me get that fixed. Let me get well, and then I'll worry about some other stuff. But right now, that's first. You know, having bills and no money, that will change your priorities. I mean, you can be philosophical all day. But, but once you have a greater need than you have resource, that becomes a priority. And so there's lots of contingencies in our life. There's lots of things that define our priorities in the short term. There's lots of things that are, that are seeking influence. A few weeks ago, we talked about this statement, your money is wild. It's a Dave Ramsey quote. If you do not train it, it will run away. Amen? We've all had that happen. You open your billfold, and sometime your money snuck out of your <laughs> wallet and ran away, and it did things. We don't know what. Our thoughts are like that, too. If we do not train them, they can take us over. They can begin to dictate to us the quality of our lives. They can define so much of who we are and the quality of our relationships and the journey that we are on. As I was doing research for this series, I came across an article at a website called happierhuman.com, and who doesn't want to visit that website? (laughs) In November 2020, Alexander Dreyke wrote an article that was published on that website and in it he highlighted nine priorities that every person should have in order to be well-adjusted and happy. I just encourage you to go read that article and see what you think. Not really, I'm actually going to tell you what the nine things are. (laughs) Here's the title of the article, nine priorities in life you need to focus on right now. Are you ready? This could be life-changing. Number one, self-care. You should take care of yourself, but not in a selfish way. That's, I read it right out of the article. I think self-care is important, matters. I mean, if you think about this, you're the goose that lays the golden egg, and if the goose gets sick, there won't be any more golden eggs, so please take care of the goose. Here's the deal though, be sure there are some golden eggs. Some of us, you know, the goose is getting fat. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> we got to be sure that the reason we're needing to do self-care is because we're so giving. There's so much going out, we need to make sure some stuff's coming in. Amen? Amen. Come on, loosen up a little bit, please. <laughs> I've been out of practice, you know. It's been a couple of weeks. We have, you know, the holidays, and I've been traveling, and so I'm back. I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm trying, trying. <laughs> Work with me. Work with me a little. In my, in my head, this sermon is important, really important. <laughs> Number two, you want to be happy? Continue your education and your learning. We know for a fact, I like this, Lucinda. We know for a fact that education and learning are driving forces behind human progress. So keep learning. Number three, do meaningful work. That's all. (laughs) Number four, get an exciting hobby. Be happy, get an exciting hobby. I like this phrase. Realistically speaking, not everyone can afford the luxury of pursuing their dream job. When your mortgage is past due, your bills start piling up on your kitchen counter, money becomes a bigger priority than meaning. However, hobbies are an aspect of your life over which you have full control. You're welcome. Number five, have fulfilling relationships. I don't know... How, exactly, but that will make you happier if you have them. Number six: alone time. Now listen to this. When I say alone time," I mean no phone, no TV, no music, no distraction, just you and your thoughts. That's a terrifying thought, isn't it? Not necessarily my best friend when I'm alone. Number seven: travel. New places make you feel better. New cultures, new experiences, new life perspectives. Number eight, if you can't afford to travel, at least have new experiences. There are places in your own town you've never been and things you've never done. Try some. Number nine, and this is my favorite, happiness. If you want to be happy, have happiness. (laughs) Now, contextually, I think that's a helpful list. However... It's sort of starting in the middle because a long time before we get to a list like that we've got to stop and ask ourselves another question biblically speaking the beginning of our meaning in life is rooted in our relationship with Jesus Christ and it's astonishing to me how often we will look at psychological things and we'll look at all kinds of stuff but we will fail to address the core issue of being human and that is the spirituality of a soul And all of these other things work from the outside in. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, it works from the inside out. It's about getting in here and changing something very fundamental. And once these things are healed, maybe an exciting hobby does add an element of importance. Maybe working on self-care becomes a different kind of priority. But until this stuff is taken care of, until this becomes the first thing that is the first thing, these other things become just sort of ways that we distract ourselves from this core thing that's happening in us. And that's what Peter's writing about, this core thing, this worldview that sees the world in a different way from a different perspective because of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done and what the gospel message is about. So we don't look at the world in the same way as everybody else. We have a different kind of first things first. And when I think about it, I think, my goodness, you have in your hands something of immense worth. It's sometimes hard to see. It's sometimes hard, especially in the world that's, that's inviting us to invest our energy and our time and our thoughts in different things. But the gospel's inviting us to invest ourselves in something that has actual return on the investment. Listen to Peter's opening words. Though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls." I see him highlighting five things that I think matter to us in this new reality. And I want to encourage you that you embrace this as your reality. Number one, we are invited to participate in a new birth. So so when we stop and we think about this, the gospel of Jesus Christ suggests this that you and I are invited to be born again. Now I don't know about you, but that's appealing. That's appealing. Because most everything else I understand about the world is this. Once you're damaged, you're just damaged for good. Once you're broken, you're just broken for good. Once you're traumatized, you're just traumatized for good. Once somebody mistreats you, you're just mistreated for good. You can't come back. You can't recover. You can't get over it. So the gospel of Jesus Christ comes and says, I want you to think differently. I want you to have a different priority. I want you to see something else as the first thing first. And, And here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that you're invited to be born again to be restored to have your soul healed to have your relationships healed you're invited to put the shame away you're invited to be renewed you're invited to be forgiven you're invited to be a child again you're invited to a fresh start and a new beginning Paul says such a profound thing it is so overwhelming that if anyone is in Christ they're a new creation the old is gone And the new has come. What I wish is I wish this was instantaneous. I think the work of God to to allow us to be born again is instantaneous. We get it because we ask, God, I confess my sins. (laughs) Please, I want to be born again. The trauma, however, takes a little longer to heal. Amen? It takes time. But we're not broken and damaged and useless and no good. Whatever the world has to say, however it operates in this cancel culture, looking for our weaknesses, looking for the trauma, the gospel of Jesus Christ says, I see you, and I invite you to be born again. I invite you to a new birth, a new beginning, where the old is washed away, and there is a newness of life and a newness of hope. Listen, we don't have to believe in this gospel, but this is the heart of the gospel. You want to talk about putting first things first? Here's the first thing. You're not stuck. You're not stuck in what happened to you. You're not stuck in who you are. You're not stuck. It'll take time. But God invites us to be born again, to be born again. And Peter says, for you folks that are facing an uncertain future, you don't know what it looks like out there. Here's where I want you to invest your energy. Here's what I want you to think about. We've been invited into a new birth but not just a new birth, number two. We've been invited to a living hope, a living hope. Jesus didn't invite us to a religion. Isn't it funny how human beings can mess stuff up? And I just say, I think the church gets a bad rap because it's just another human institution that has its strengths and weaknesses, amen? Not unlike every other human institution on the planet. (laughs) Amen? Maybe we just have higher expectations of the church. We just think that the human people over there are somehow not going to make the same mistakes, but it seems like human beings do. Very fallible. But we weren't invited to a religion. We weren't even invited to church. We were invited to a relationship with Jesus Christ, a living hope. A living hope so that how do we go about the healing of the new birth how do we see that manifest in our trauma and in our brokenness and our weakness well we get into a relationship and we ask God to come with us that we can't do it on our own now that's not revolutionary talk is it if you've been around a church very long you've heard that kind of talk before <laughs> I wonder how many of us this morning before we came to church bowed our heads and said, God, I need you. I really need you. I really can't do this on my own. It's really not about what all is up in my head. It's not about my feelings. It's about a relationship I have with you, and I want your strength to be made perfect in my weakness, and I cannot do this by myself. I will not go out into this day without you with me. I will not try to face this. I will not try to navigate my brain without you. I cannot do it. I have tried. And as many times as in this day I am distracted from that reality, I will come right back here. I will breathe the prayer. God be with me. I need you. I don't need me. I got all me I can handle. I got a lot of me. I'm up to here with me. (laughs) I need you. I need you manifest in my life. I need your voice in my head. I need your presence inside of me. I need you to walk with me i need this to be the first thing a new birth and a living hope a real living hope that is with me at all times and when i get out and i'm already halfway through my day and i went oh left jesus at home (laughs) i'm going to remember that you came with me anyway and you were just waiting for me to stop and say hey i need you i don't need a religion i don't need a bunch of stuff in my head I need the presence of Jesus Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit with me, with me, with me, with me, right here. I need you. It's a living hope to which we are invited. Number three, it's a secure future. He says, And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or afraid, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation is ready to be real at the last time. It's all going to turn out okay. When's the last time you told your brain it's all going to be okay? Really? It's all going to be okay. We, we have a secure future. It's all going to be okay. Now, it may be hard between now and then. But it's going to be okay. I, I don't know if you know this, I'm a football fan. But I have found that I do better watching football when the game is over and I know who won. <laughs> can I get an amen? And you can say, well, you're a fair weather fan and blah, blah, blah. Listen, I'm a better human being when I know how it's going to turn out. There is less angst. And I find when I know. And Here's another trick if my team loses. I don't watch that game. I don't need that I don't need that kind of grief in my life There's a a lot of people in the room right now, and they're getting elbowed you should you should stop watching football until it's over, too But I find when I know who's gonna win and I'm watching the game which means my team is going to win I Don't get that upset Wow I would have been really upset had I not known how this turned out. <laughs> and by the way, and I hate to admit this, but I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. No, no. So you know how many times I've had my guts ripped out. <laughs> See, I've learned. Insanity's doing the same things and expecting different results. No, I don't watch those games. No. People text me. Man, can you believe what's happening? No, I'm not watching it. My children and my wife deserve better. (laughs) I find I can relax. And in some way, Peter is saying, I want you to relax. You know how it's going to turn out. There are going to be some days when it feels like it's not going to work out. There are going to be some setbacks. But I just want you to know that your inheritance is safe and it's secure and you can rest in it. You're invited to a new birth. You're invited to a living hope. And you're invited to a secure future where you rest in that reality. Number four, you're invited to a reason to endure. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. That there is a reason to endure. You, You and I have been invited to do something, to accomplish something. And what we've been invited to accomplish is to be the living body of Jesus Christ on earth. To to be a part of a community and to be a part of an individual perspective on life, to put this first thing first, I am here to see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to be the most loving, the most kind, the most compassionate, When people talk to me, it is my vision my goal. Why do I endure? Why do I keep going? Why do I believe because I'm here to do something? I'm here to accomplish something and What I'm here to accomplish is, is to love like Jesus loved to care like Jesus cared to engage like Jesus Engaged to make a difference like Jesus made a difference. I'm not here to perpetuate my own existence. I Mean I do but that's not my purpose. And I, can, I, I could chart this. <laughs> if you just put it on a chart and you said, How much are you preoccupied with your own existence and how depressed are you? <laughs> they track right together. <clears throat> me, 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 when I get my head up, and I go, yeah, this is part of it. We we know this physically, don't we? You know that the longer you live, the more things go wrong with you. You can deny this for a while. I, I this is a little simple illustration of how you how I deny this. I, I was told I needed to have glasses when I was 14 years old. I began wearing glasses when I was 40. You understand what I'm saying? Because for a while, I could just squint. But around 40, I couldn't squint that much. I mean, I just couldn't see anymore. Just the reality of what was happening was catching up with my, you know, desire to not wear glasses. Just happened. Anybody else saw 40 as a turning point in your life, journey? It's like that's when the roller coaster gets to the very top, and the plummet begins. It's just, it's just are and the older you get, the faster the roller coaster goes. It gets so fast that things start falling off of the roller coaster. Hey Amen. I'm a preaching to my people here. Get up one morning, things don't work anymore. Just like, yeah, well, that was good. It was good for a while. I appreciate whoever called 911. I <laughs> I do. And what happens to us physically is happening to us emotionally, spiritually. It gets harder the longer you live. You you got more scars, you got more stuff it happened. And why do we endure? Why do we go on? Because we have a mission to accomplish. We have something to do here. We're not just here to perpetuate our own existence. Outwardly, we are wasting the way, but inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. Therefore, we fix our eyes not on what is seen because what is seen is temporary, but on what is unseen because what is unseen is eternal. I'm gonna get my head up. I wanna encourage you. Right here at the beginning of 2023, first things first, get your head up. Get your head up. Number five, this is a love worth celebrating. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. I just want to tell you this, and I want to be sure you hear it very clearly. You are the object of immense love. And you are the recipient of incredible worth. You are incredibly worthwhile. The God of the universe has invited you into a personal loving relationship. And if somewhere along the way you got a different message than that, let me just clarify it for you. God so loved the world that he sent his son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He did not send his son into this world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. You are the object of his love. He loves you madly, and besides that, he likes you. And I know we don't always think those are the same things. Well, he probably loves me at some deep level, but he tolerates me. No? He actually likes you. He actually invested a uniqueness in you that will only exist for a very brief time on this planet, and it will only exist in the person that is you. Only once in all of eternity will there be you, only once. You are of immense worth. You are deeply loved. God loves His children like parents love their children, except better. Which means we love our children and would love to just give them everything they want. Amen? But we know better, don't we? Most of us, we, we lived and, and our parents were raising us and we were like, I am never going to do that to my children, ever. Ever. And we stick to that until we have children. (laughs) And then once our children start misbehaving, we're like, what do I have to hit them with? You just give me, oh, yeah, I remember my mom used this. You know, we'll pull anything out. We don't care at that point. We just want you to stop. And along the way, we, we don't just love our kids. We discipline our kids. We don't just love our kids. We try to guide them. We, we want them to turn out okay. We want them to have all their dreams come true. We want them to, to be whole, mature human beings. And yet, when, when we talk in church about how God disciplines his children and calls us and he's inviting us, we are like, oh, God is so mean. No, he loves you. He loves you like crazy. And he wants what's best for you. And so he's given us his word as a guidebook. What are the first things in your life? I want to invite you to a place during this series. I want you to immerse yourself as Peter writes to people in the middle of crisis, in the middle of fear, in the middle of uncertainty, in a very real-world situation, and he says, Listen, focus on some things. You're invited to a new birth. If you've never prayed a prayer inviting Christ into your heart and into your life, we're going to pray one at the end of this service. And I want you to just know that when we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I just want to encourage you. There is a new birth. You don't have to live stuck in the same old ways. It may take some time for healing, but He's going to come with you. A living hope. Invite Him. If you can't say a four-second prayer every morning, say a four-second prayer. <laughs> go with me, God. Please go with me. I need you. Breathe the prayer. Breathe it all day long. I need you. I'm not enough. I need a little more. I need your presence. I need your strength. I need you to be made perfect in my weakness. I'm getting mad. I'm getting overwhelmed. I'm getting depressed. I'm getting sad. I'm getting worried. I need you. It's all going to turn out okay. You've got a secure future. Uh, it might be a bad day, but you know who wins. And then we have a mission to accomplish. Let's be the living body of Christ on earth. Let's be that body. Let's be the church of Jesus Christ, alive on earth, where his will is done as it is in heaven. To the best of our imperfect abilities, let's go be those people. Let's be committed to that cause. And know this, you are loved. You are of immense worth. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for a worldview that's hopeful, for a worldview that involves a God who scoops us up and wraps us up. And as we prepare to close this service, I just invite you, Lord, to do work in each of our hearts. Maybe for some in this room, maybe some joining us online, they've never prayed a simple prayer inviting you into their heart, and I, I pray right now that you would hear our prayers. We confess to you our sins. We recognize times in our life where we've chosen and done things that are not what you wanted from us that we're not what's best for us, that we're damaging to our hearts and our minds and our souls and our relationship and our self-image. And some of us have endured hardship at the hands of others. We've, we've been the victims of trauma or abuse. We're trying to heal, but, but we'd like to just lay it all out We'd like to have a fresh start and a new beginning. We'd like to have a new birth, to be changed from the inside out. So we confess it all to you. We invite you to move into this heart, mind, that your presence would be with us, that it would... Speak to us and direct our choices and give us strength that we lack and give us wisdom that we lack and bring healing from the inside out. We recognize that whatever we do from the outside in will never change this one reality. It is the first thing first to get our hearts right with you. And whether we're praying this prayer for the very first time or for the 20th or 50th, you've promised that when we confess, you are faithful And just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness we lay it all out the shame the loss the guilt the hurt the brokenness we invite you to welcome us into the new birth to be born again be our living hope Remind us of our secure future. Remind us of why we endure and the mission that we are on. And remind us that we are immensely loved. You created us. And you will go with us every step in which we allow and invite you to go. So we throw our hearts and minds and spirits, the life of this congregation, we throw open to you. It is all about you. It is for you. It is with you. We seek you. And we ask now that you would be the first thing and always first. We pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said together, amen. Stand with me. If you prayed that prayer, I'm going to challenge you before this day's over, get with a pastor, send an email, tell somebody. Let's do this together, amen? Amen. Let's sing thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.